Hello, and welcome to another Modest Conversation. I'm here with an old friend, Bryce, from OATV, um, visiting from San Francisco. Uh, I'm sorry, from Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City in his one-day trip to San Francisco. Thanks for taking the time. Happy to be here. So Good to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you. What, um, what's on your mind? Uh, I am thinking a lot these days about whether we've reached the limits of the traditional Silicon Valley venture startup model. Blasphemy. <laughs> Well, look, I mean, you, before I came in the business, which it was, you know, I came in 15 plus years ago, the, there, the conventional wisdom was there's 12 companies a year that matter, right. essentially that drive all the returns for venture. 15 years later, we're still saying there's only, and I think you and I would both agree that's probably generous that there's 12 that Pretty drive generous. all the returns. It's for. more like three a decade. <laughs> and and long after we're gone, it's it may be even fewer. And yet there's all of this innovation happening. There's all of this value getting created, um, but we have one discrete model that we essentially use for funding all of innovation, and that's the Silicon Valley venture model. Yeah, I agree. So what do you do about it? I think, there, I think there's a few different ways to kind of skin it. Our, what I'm interested in working on, what I have been working on, is something we call NDVC, which is um, it's essentially a model that takes the emphasis off of the successive rounds of funding and focuses... Uh, an entrepreneur's energy more on building a profitable business and mm-hmm. keeping optionality open for as long as possible. Got it. And how does that, like, do you, can you get to the ownership levels? Like, how does that make sense as, a, as an investor? Because I think the things investors always are balancing, right? It's like the irony is cash is a pretty abundant commodity. Sure. You want to put as much of it as you can to work, right? Mm-hmm. And then ideally, and this is kind of one of the dirty secrets of, of venture investing, right, is like ideally the companies need more money. <laughs> and that is the dirty little secret, right? And so part of how you manage that is you is you work out an equitable ownership stake up front. Yep. You know, we structure our investments in a way that if you end up building and wanting to build a cash-flowing businesses and get wealthy off of creating cash flow for your business, yep. we can take our return out through a distribution, a cash distribution, versus forcing another round of funding, forcing another round of... And how does that... Would you literally, like, you're willing to, over the next 50 years, collect dividends? Or is I mean, it, these like, are, these are package like, of these things and, like, give them to private equity shops? Like, what's the... <laughs> I mean, these are 70-plus percent gross margin businesses, sure. right? Like, they ought to be able to throw off quite a bit of cash. And as you kind of peel back bootstrap software businesses, these things generate a lot of cash flow yeah. with a fairly small top-line number for some of them. And yeah. so it's not inconceivable to see getting a 3, 5x on an investment in cash flow distributions over a normal kind of 10-year right. life cycle. So it becomes the Berkshire Hathaway of... Maybe. But we also have an equity option. So, yeah. you know, in the event that someone ends up raising money down the road. We don't want to discourage that, but we also, you know, we think the best place to scale from as a business is on that solid foundation of fundamentals, right? Which is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a counterintuitive uh, observation for this. Well, it creates a bat now, right? Which Mm -hmm. is like, you know, which, you know, I think it's interesting to watch even the hyper growth companies, the Googles and the Facebooks. It was always important that they had in their back pocket when they're negotiating financing the fact that they didn't really need financing, yes. right? They could always say, fine, we don't like the terms. We're just going to work off of cash flow for a while. We'll just make more money ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Um, well, look, I mean, I, I've used an example. I don't know if it's an appropriate one, but I think, you know, there's a lot of things that differentiate Twitter and Facebook yep. as businesses. But one of the defining characteristics was Twitter from the outset has focused exclusively on growth. Yep. Um, they've never been profitable. 
they generate a lot of revenue, but they lose a ton of money. Facebook from the get-go focused on growth, but they also generated revenue from the very beginning. They were that's right. People relative, forget that people forget that they were a profitable business before they raised their first round of funding. Um, and you know, I would love it if you have any perspective on it, but I think that's one of the really unique characteristics of that business that sets it apart from so many of these others. Like, grow as fast as you can, raise as much funny, money as quickly as you can. I think they just had a much more – they were in a much more leveraged position. Yeah. And I think the fundamentals of the business just worked because they knew it early on. They validated it early on. So they were able to scale in a very different way than others. Yeah. I think – look, I, the question in my mind is always understanding the dials that you actually yes. have at your disposal, mm-hmm. right? And then using those dials appropriately. Like yep. Making money is a dial and raising money is a dial. Not when you fully control, yep. right? Um, growing is a dial. And I just think if you're really sensitive about – what, what dials you really can pull and how 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 much um, how much fine tuning you can do on them mm-hmm. right like um, totally. when you need it I think is the key right well look um, you know I, I always say that, you know profitability is a one fundable milestone the VCs can't move on you right <laughs> like I mean how many times has a VC said to go go get this user metric or go get that retention number you deliver well, they have it. no incentive in general and this is with great love for a lot of VCs Absolutely. there's very little incentive for venture capitalists to tell you to get profitable. No, right. I think to your point, right? Like part of part of why this model we're exploring is interesting to me is that, you know, what I was finding as a seed stage investor was that the vast majority of the capital that I was raising was going into series B and C rounds, right? So yeah. you're protecting your initial investment against dilution yeah. as you go. So you find yourself essentially in the business of being a late stage investor, yeah. which I, you know, I, I just didn't love being in that position yeah. when... Um, you know, if you could um, if you could fund the businesses in a way where they're just more ca- capital efficient, and rather than protecting your ownership percentage through you know follow on funding in future rounds, what if you took out the need for follow on funding, and then anything you raised after that initial seed round of funding was opportunistic? I think it also just comes down to like what you're using financing for, right? Because right? in the end of the day, like there's a lot of businesses. There's ones that are doing serious R and D or technical work that is defensible or different or something like that. Where like you just need to spend a lot of money to get to the starting line, yep. right? And the reality is, I mean, in, investor venture capital. Ironically, I always think it was like lenders of last resort, right? It's extremely expensive capital, right? Yeah, like if you can yeah. get a bank to loan you money, you do that. But right. the thing is, they're also able to take the risk mm-hmm. of these like crazy big yes. audit. And what's happened is, is that. There's an interesting thing, which is that was always true. Then there was the model, especially that it became a network thing, which is in networks, if you believe it's winner-take-all markets and a race, then all of a sudden you start using VC for growth and marketing. Yeah, I mean, you weaponize Um, your balance sheet, right? Sure, which is an interesting thing because that actually might be right in a few cases. Um, But when that starts bleeding over into every business, because there's a lot of great businesses to start in the world. Some of them can be incredible businesses, but they're not, they don't have those dynamics. All of a sudden you've got to be thinking about like, Wow, that's really expensive capital to be spending on marketing. Well, right. and there's, you know, I, I, I personally believe there's a lot of really incredible businesses that could be um, institutions over time. They just take time, yeah. right? Like that, if you put certain types of businesses on that, kind of having them running that same funding playbook, they're going to chop themselves off at the knees. The rocket ship, the wings will come off, like right. all that stuff. They're just not able to consume oh, that much cash or, or run that and playbook I think also in the same way. Management teams have this challenge, sure. which is especially young managers. Like the reality is, is even if you come from a great place and went to, you know, had all the right exposures, there's just a learning curve to managing an organization. You're going to make mistakes. Da, da, da. And like, if you think about 
the the traditional VC zero to infinity story. Mm-hmm. Just the treadmill runs faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. If you're not ready for it to run faster, totally, that you, you could spit off the back. <laughs> you talked about Facebook and Twitter earlier. I mean, right. One of the things that I always think is lost beyond the revenue component about the, the difference between those two stories, which are probably lost the stands of time, right? Mm-hmm. Is you know. One of the coolest parts about Facebook was that they really could control their growth off the bat because it was university by university in the early days, which is an incredible advantage because it meant you really could actually control the pace of growth to the point that you understood how to operate and could move in plenty of mistakes from me along the way but that was incredible whereas a Twitter where you just turn it on like part of the reason Twitter in my mind always suffered such huge technical issues because it's actually really hard to just open something to the world wide open right yes. whereas so when you actually can control the pacing mm-hmm. um you end up in a very different spot it's something we think a lot about at Finn frankly uh, can you is, recreate that moment in time now Controlling, pacing. controlling the yeah pacing. So, uh, so one of our, especially if you've taken you know meaningful venture investment. Um, I think you should be able to. I think okay. it's hard. Okay. Um, Why? I just think you have to be really clear about what metrics you're optimizing for and mm-hmm. watching, mm-hmm. Um, and make sure that your investors on the right page about that. Right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. if you have, if instead you're burning and burning and burning, and you know you're going to run out of cash, and you're talking about a user story, but like you can't provide. I mean, you end up in a very bad treadmill place, yeah. um, or you just end up optimizing for the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Um, it is no, interesting, I, though. I mean, I think. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, no, I was just going to say, yeah. So, so, um, you know, I think the traditional VC model says, how do we get into those twelve companies a year? Yeah. And I think within DVC, we're trying to say, if we apply a different set of metrics, if we apply a different model, could we double that number? Yeah. And I don't know. I think that's that's been the interesting part of the experiment so far. I mean, what we've seen with the you know handful of companies we've been working with kind of under those um, conditions have, has been really encouraging. Yeah. You know, we're seeing companies that can get to profitability pretty quickly. Several that are within, you know, a year to 18 months throwing off, you know, seed round sizes of cash. I totally believe that. I mean, watching, you know, my wife who's bootstrapped her business, um, you know, and hasn't taken any outside funding and they're doing great, um, the information, right? Um, I totally believe that. And, you know, she's definitely, I think, on a trajectory and they're building towards something very huge, but it will take a long time, right? Right, Um, right. It's not a tomorrow thing. Well, and that's the interesting thing is um, there are a number of companies that if they relied on venture capital like the information and had to ask permission to exist from investors who have a certain set of metrics that they're evaluating all of their investments around patterns that they're matching against, I think she would have had a... You know, given her pedigree, maybe not as hard of a time. But if someone were coming out with a subscription-targeted media company, that's a very tough sell to an investor who's looking for something very different, right? They're looking for massive scale, billion-dollar kinds of outcomes. Now, she could be building a very real institution that becomes worth many multiples of that. But like you said, it's going to take a different takes more than a different life cycle. Yes, totally. And I think there's a. I think we are on the cusp of so many interesting things that could potentially exist. But if we have to fit them into the mold of traditional venture, we're never going to see them. And that's either from a market and timing standpoint, that's from a geographic standpoint yeah. with you know the diaspora of the valley moving everywhere and innovation happening all over the place, where that model doesn't necessarily win the day. Yeah. Or if you relied on it, it wouldn't work in you know, 
Atlanta or Cincinnati or somewhere else. It's just, you're just not going to be able to fund and scale your business in the same way. And there's certainly gender and demographics that are wildly underrepresented in venture that if they are trying to run that same playbook and grow a business the same way they're seeing, you know, any of these folks out here, you know, they're, they're just in for a really rough ride. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think what you're doing sounds really awesome. I think, the you know, it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. Like, are you building baby Berkshire Hathaway? Are you building, like... Well, right now I feel like I'm selling broccoli in a candy store. <laughs> like, no, nobody wants to hear about, you know, the nutritious, you know, the, the right way or a certain or a different way to build things when there's so much cash available. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so hard not to take it. I mean, I had a call with an entrepreneur this week where literally VCs are sitting in the cafeterias of big companies like the Facebooks and Amazons and just trying to find an engineer to talk to to see if they want to go start something with a blank check. I mean, this is really happening right now. And yeah. it's so Well, people are looking for growth. There's no growth in our world fundamentally. And that's the, that's the challenge, too, is entrepreneurs are, most of the time, they're not really looking for investors. They're looking for a paycheck. They're looking to de-risk it just a little bit for themselves. And in doing that and in, in kind of going after that funding right out of the gate, they give up so much optionality. They give up so much freedom that it's hard to kind of manifest the destiny of what it is you want to do when now you have so many different stakeholders with competing interests. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, it's really cool. I'm glad you're doing it. I'm going to definitely be watching it. I think um, there's a lot of things, you know, changing in the landscape and not just because there's infinite dollars, it feels mm-hmm. like available if you can tell a good growth story. Yeah. Um, but also just in terms of you know valuation acceleration and things and the curves of that have changed dramatically. Even I mean I've been watching very closely what's going on with Ethereum and initial coin offering. Okay, so tell me about like unpack that. What is what is going? What, not, what is it I'm that not, sparked your attention or your interest? And what are you seeing? So I'm I I'm not educated enough yet to give you a really deep read. But one, Ethereum is worth spending time on mm-hmm. figuring out. Um, and two, this just this idea, which again, legalities that we can all get into it are complicated, right. which says, look, Kickstarter with equity is the way I would think about it, mm. right? Yeah. Um, and having a format which allows you to say, look, I'm going to start this thing. There's a smart contract with a unit of value attached to it. It can float from day one. It's more liquid. Mm-hmm. You know, we've gone through this interesting cycle recently where weirdly, normally like you pay for liquidity, mm-hmm. right? right? But we've gone through this weird thing where private companies have been valued in excess of their their public peers, right? So there's, there's just a lot of funkiness on going on right now that I think all comes back to the fact there just isn't enough growth yeah. in the world, and there's a lot of money being printed Do you globally. think there, there's not enough growth or there's too much capital? Well, I think that either variable being different would fix the situation, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but you know, globally, there's a lot of mo- there's a lot of mobile, and the reality is, you talk about even what you're doing. It's, you know, my dad was an investment banker in mm-hmm. like the 70s and 80s right. through the 90s, and it's funny because I felt like at that time the idea of even knowing what companies existed that you could theoretically go buy or invest in was, it was actually like a dark thing. Like mm. there wasn't a map of the world, and then yeah. you kind of went this. Now we have thousands of publicly listed equities. So you can go back to well, I don't know. Is it like what you're doing is interesting because like I think one of the limiters historically has been without technology. You couldn't manage a portfolio of like fifty thousand subscale companies, right? right? Or right. positions in all of them. But in theory, there's no reason with technology you now couldn't, which mm-hmm. should enable. You talk about Berkshire, baby Berkshire, but like that's a possible future for you that if wasn't possible before. One hundred percent. 
And I, you know, I think that's a pretty exciting future for us to look at, and hopefully we see you know some similar results. Yeah. <laughs> well, good luck. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it, dude. It's great to see you. Good seeing you too. Thanks for taking time, of course.